listening to So Much Pingle, the podcast about herpetology, field herping, and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles. Join us each week as Mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet. And now, bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone, here's your host, Mike Pingleton. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. Mike Pingleton here, and I am your host for these proceedings. And welcome to episode 36, and I hope everyone out there remains safe and healthy. Now, before we get to our Snoring Thunder show, I want to give a shout-out to new Patreoners, Jeremiah Easter and Richard Laguerre. Thank you, Jeremiah, and thank you, Richard. And, of course, I want to say thank you to all of the folks who support the show via Patreon. And because I'm a bit thick-headed at times, uh, I've neglected to include other ways to support the show, which also include things like PayPal and Venmo. Uh, And thank you, Jeremiah, for helping me with that. Uh, And folks have asked me again about T-shirts and merchandise, and I am endeavoring to get that done soon. Uh, You might think that a retired guy has all the time in the world, but uh, not so. Not so. Okay, now let's get to this episode. Spring has sprung here in central Illinois, and your host is fully vaccinated now, which means there are opportunities for capturing some episodes outside of the studio environment. And just a few days prior to recording this info, I took my mobile recording gear on the road with me and headed down to the southern portion of Illinois, and that was to participate in uh, what has become a spring ritual for me and some of my friends. And we had some downtime on Friday afternoon, and that provided a small window of opportunity. So I sat down with Justin Michaels and Jeremy Schumacher to record a little roundtable discussion. Well, what's it all about? Well, perhaps you've already guessed, but uh, all shall be revealed as we go along. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. And uh, this episode, we're doing something a little bit different. I am currently in Carbondale, Illinois, and I am sitting in the home of Jeremy and Jill Schumacher. And uh, I am also at the table with me, uh, besides Jeremy, is Justin Michaels, who's uh, been on the show several times. Hi, Justin. Hello. Hi, Mike. So uh, why are we here? We're here because of an event that we've been doing for a while now, for I think the past five or six years, and it's called Snoring Thunder. Uh, and, uh, this is one of the favorite things that, uh, we get to do every year, uh, when the weather starts getting better and spring is starting to, uh, happen and, uh, rains are coming and frogs are moving. And, uh, Jeremy, why don't you tell us a little bit about exactly what snoring thunder is? Well, uh, snoring thunder is something that happened kind of by accident, uh, when I first moved down to this area, you had asked me out of the blue one day, Hey, have you found any crawfish frogs yet? And I had literally no idea what you were talking about because I had, had really, uh, not been too great into herping. Like I knew what herping was. I was just starting to bounce ideas off people and like get better at herping. And I just took that moment right then and there. And I was like, okay, I'm going to learn what these things are. I'm going to, I'm going to find them. Can I'm going to try to, impress mike so uh did, oh, uh, i should mention too that you were also heavily involved in school at the time so uh, you were trying to get your degree so you you're a very busy person and not really 
I it just I, it was like me giving you extra credit assignment or something. Yeah, basically, I was uh, just starting my forestry degree at uh, Southern Illinois University and was going into wildlife habitat management, and it just everything fell into place, and herping just took off and built my career around it in forestry. But uh, going back to the crawfish frogs was uh, I was driving out one night and I heard the the faint little snoring off in the background and i just knew right then and there that's the frog you were looking for i had never heard it before in my life and it just dead stopped i was down in the uh at the at the cash river uh, there was a little uh turn off road and i went to turn on that road and saw this blob of brown jump across the road i never saw it again and jumped out of the car started looking for it couldn't find it but i could just hear this constant snoring in the background and i was just from that moment i was like okay i gotta find these things and you know fast forward a little bit and next year comes uh, i totally struck out couldn't find anything i uh, got together with a couple other uh, local acquaintances uh, acquaintances went out uh, went to the same spot and in 30 seconds made that first turn again there's a big brown blob of frog sitting right in the middle of the road and they're all like, dude, we've been looking for these things for years. And your first time going out, you find one in 30 seconds. And it's just sitting in the middle of the road. You don't even have to work for it. So I'm looking at this bullfrog that looks diseased. <laughs> it's just... Well, well, tell us tell us exactly what, what we're talking about here, the crawfish frog. So, yeah, uh, the crawfish frog is uh, it's a subterranean frog. They're only out for roughly, I'd say, maybe five to seven days out of the year and they're they're a substantially sized frog they're maybe just shy of a bullfrog in size so you're, and you're what's, what's the technical the technical name here is the northern crawfish frog which is uh i don't know if you want to go with rana or lithobates i don't know which 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 field you go in here <laughs> but we'll go well, i'll just go lithobates areolatus circulosa um, so lots of circles basically is what the the name means and which, which is uh, pertains to what? Oh, uh, the the pattern of the frog. So he's okay. got a kind of a goldish brown frog with these greenish brown uh, circles all over the frog. It's just really a striking frog when you see it for the first time. You're not sure if you're looking at a a leopard frog or a bullfrog or what what you're looking at. Um, but once you see it, you can't mistake it for anything else ever again. And I know, Justin, you and I have been coming down here for a while to meet up with Jeremy, but I, I don't recall how we all decided to get together and do this thing. Do you, do you remember how it happened or was it just like a random thing? No, I had been, I had seen one once only, only ever. And I discussed it with you and you had thought you'd found one. Was it the famous Snake Road crawfish frog yeah. that jumped away before yeah. photographic evidence? So I still don't but believe Andy O'Connor saw it. <laughs> and Michael Cravens has seen one there. He's pretty reliable. So, yeah, so you and I were talking about it, and I think you had seen one, and then we tied it into looking for uh, the Illinois chorus frog, which is equally elusive. Right. So I think we started literally just driving around in the rain with our windows down <laughs> till yeah. one or two in the morning until we were blind tired, and then we would give up and then go again, and we did that a, a couple of years. So, yeah, I, had, I remember posting something about that. We had, we had heard a chorus of them calling, and... 
one of my friends was like, Hey, uh, I know where there's some at. My yeah. uncle has some on his property. Oh yeah. Yeah. So he's trying to give us these directions to this place out in the middle of nowhere in Williamson County. That cow and field. So I'm looking for this big cow field with a bunch of ponds on it. And sure enough, we're driving with the windows down and we hear the <laughs> out in the background, the snoring sound. Yeah. And it turns out we're at the wrong spot. So but we get one anyway, but we got one anyways. Right. Yeah. So what was really interesting about that is another acquaintance of mine uh, went back a few days later and was actually shot at by the landowner. So we were at the wrong spot. We were on private property. We got a picture of one yeah. and got out of the before, apparently before we got noticed. So we were we there were, for hours though. We were there for an hour. Maybe for, yeah, yeah, for about hour. an hour. And then my friend shows up and says, dude, you're at the wrong spot. You need to get out of there. So we, uh, he takes us to the real spot, and I think that's the night where like magic happened. Yeah. Uh, so we got out we, there. We got deaf. We went deaf. From yeah. It was, uh, the the weird thing about these frogs, uh, they're so light sensitive that we couldn't have our headlights on, mm-hmm. or we couldn't have headlamps on. We couldn't have. We couldn't make a sound. The second you made a sound, everybody it just was dead quiet for like half an hour. So we had trounced, I think it was like 300 yards through a mud field and standing in this uh, reservoir, cattle, old cattle pond. Waist deep. Waist deep. And Nasty water. We're standing there in just dead silence. And all of a sudden you hear one and then two and then 20. And eventually there's about a thousand of these frogs calling around us. And uh, sorry, that's my, my dog Oscar there. He's very protective of the uh, neighbors coming over. So we got like about a thousand of these frogs calling. And I remember it being so loud that we we're all covered our ears and we were like bent over. Like it was so intense and you could feel it the shockwaves. It give you a head, headache. Yeah. Yeah. And you could feel the shockwaves going through you. I'm going to back this up just a minute. Good boy, Oscar. Good boy. Go lay down. <laughs> Man, I've never felt safer <laughs> with Oscar to guard me. He's the best. Um, <laughs> but I would, I would back this up because you, you just can't go out willy-nilly and find crawfish frogs. They're very elusive. During most of their time above ground, and during spring, summer, and fall, they're, they're elusive. They they hide out. They they hang out at the end edge of their burrows. Of um, crawfish burrows. Of crawfish burrows. Yeah. And, and, and uh, they, they hang out there and they catch prey and whatnot. But they're very wary and they go bloop right back in the hole. So they're very hard to find uh, other times of the year. What, I, what I've read... Uh, what I've read about them is um, the second they feel any sort of vibration of someone walking up towards them or movement around, they just tuck right back under. Uh, it's almost impossible to find them unless it is in the middle of the breeding season. Right. And, and so that, that's what brings us down here to Southern Illinois sometime in March. And we don't know what that time will be. So we have to wait for a large rain event to move through the area and dump a bunch of rain. And of course it has to be warm enough for the frogs to be out. So these two kind of things usually come together sometime in March, but we just don't know when that's going to be. So we're, we're all like watching the forecast and we're texting you, Jeremy and saying, Hey, 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 how's it looking? What, you know, what, what do you think? And, and then, so we try to put it together and we try to, and Justin and I drive down and we have other friends that try to come and, and uh, just sort of be witness for this event, which is a very small window. Yeah, you're talking, uh, I might give you guys 48 hours notice. Sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes it was uh, within the day. So if my boss ever hears this and, <laughs> and I told you something came up, something came up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember the one year I gave you guys uh, just under 24 hours notice. 
and you guys rocket runned it down here and we just tore it up with finding crawfish frogs um and it's it's really explosive and it's never it's never the first rain that comes when you're thinking okay here go the spotted salamanders here go the smallmouth salamanders the wood frogs are calling it's never that rain it's always the next rain and that next rain is always just sitting there waiting to happen and uh, the weather down here is so uh spotty because of all the uh the effects from the bluffs and the Illinois Ozarks down here, we get a lot of uh, really sudden weather changes mm-hmm. and it, the forecast might show that we're going to get dumped on. And then two hours later, it's like, Nope, it's going to be bright and sunny. So uh, really learning weather patterns has really helped me kind of time down to this event as to when it's going to happen. Uh, this year is a great example. We had a, a crazy rain came through uh, last week. Uh, spotted salamanders were everywhere. You couldn't drive a road without seeing spotted salamanders. And uh, there was one crawfish frog. And, uh, you know, for a lot of people, you're like, oh, there's one. They're going. They're out. I knew that after, you know, six, seven years of doing this, that that was the dumb one. And I'm going to give Mike points for uh, the coining of the term, the dumb one. (laughs) Yeah. So we noticed, uh, and this goes back a few years, but we noticed that, as Justin said earlier, uh, you would sneak up on these frogs in these farm ponds. And... Just any mo- any motion, unless you were belly crawling, they would just shut up. So it, half hour to an hour. Yeah. So it was just tough to get any kind of a shot. But every time we did this, there would always be one derpy frog who would be sitting in a ditch or, or in a little patch somewhere off by himself. And he would be sitting there wah, 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 and, and doing his thing and not paying the least bit of attention to us. So we kind of decided that what we really needed to find, we didn't need to find all of the crawfish fog frogs, we needed just to find the dumb one who <laughs> who didn't care that we were standing over it taking his picture. And so every year we're like, well, you know, sooner or later we're, we're going to get a dumb one. And that, that whole uh, saying is just kind of stuck with us. And we actually use that for some other species as well now. Yeah, I remember the, the exact moment that happened. Uh, we were out there. We heard the chorus going. Again, we're standing knee deep in mud. I think we had brought four or five other people with us because we're like, yeah, we got this figured out. We're out there. Uh, we got there at like 1130 at night. And I remember it was about 130 in the morning. And we were just defeated. We can't we can't get see one. We can't I was frozen. Go. I was I'd been it was I, like, I was waist almost chest deep in the water being still for an hour. None of us were talking to each other. Everybody we would occasionally was just mad, we yeah. occasionally flash a flashlight into the air to let each other know where we were. And uh then finally Mike just yells, I have one. I was I was ready to just sleep in my car and drive home. Yeah, I just remember uh I just remember this this yell come out oh, I got one! <laughs> we all walk over there mike's on his knees in a grass mat and he just looks like he's the i've never seen him more pissed off <laughs> he's just like can i just take some pictures so we can just go home <laughs> and it's still i so, think the biggest male i've seen it's a big one it was a really big one but everybody got their pictures everybody got out walked right out of that pond and drove home like yeah. we got the one dumb one that night <laughs> Yeah, and we left his dumbness just sitting there, and he was just like, wah, wah, just sitting there, and uh, 
And so then we, you know, that's when we learn this additional factor of uh, there's always one that's going to be behaving in a different way from the rest of, of the pack. Yes. And we always started to count on that. <laughs> uh, but that's that's sort of our, not our initial modus operandi, but that's what we, we took to because, oh, that worked, but even though it was frustrating. Uh, but then we move into the next phase of snoring uh, of snoring thunder, so we need to talk about that a bit, and that is, you know, driving around the oh, area. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I got this crazy idea. Like, if these guys are showing up in these ponds, where the heck are they coming from? So I uh, started strategically driving roads uh, in opportune times, uh, looking for like these frogs have got to be crossing country roads somewhere. And apparently I had been about a block off the entire time because I get a phone call from my wife one night and she's like, Hey, uh, I think I found one of those dumb frogs you're looking for. And I was like, are you sure? And she's like, well, she's like, I have no idea what they look like, but if it's not a leopard frog, it's the biggest damn leopard frog I've ever seen in my life. So I'm like, where are you at? So she tells me the name of the road and just happens that uh, a couple other guys were uh, joining me that night. We were going to go out and try to search for them. So uh, within about 20 minutes of that, a torrential downpour comes through. We're talking, I think we got five inches of rain in 24 hours that night. But I turned onto this road. I made it maybe 200 yards down the road. And all I see is eye shine in the middle of the road. And before I knew it, I had tossed probably 35 to 40 crawfish frogs out of the road into the ditches on the side of the road because the traffic was just coming. I didn't have time to even process what was happening. There were so many crawfish frogs in the road. I just tried to save as many as I could knowing that, you know, to me, they were the rarest frog that, you know, we found one every year for like three years straight. So I'm like, I'm well, standing we, in this. We got one in hand, but we, we, got one we in could hand, go deaf right. from several locations a night where we couldn't even yell at each other and it felt like leaving a rock concert your ears rang but as soon as we disturbed the pond they stopped so we, we never caught those guys so uh yeah that night ended up uh i remember uh grabbing one it was a, a big female i picked her up and she was literally just dripping eggs like they had waited so long to come out waiting for this rain that the eggs were literally just spilling out of her oh my God. And I just remember grabbing a male and he starts calling in my hand and I just, I kind of tossed him over to the driveway and I just went in and grabbed my camera equipment. It's pouring rain, like probably the hardest rain I've ever been outside in. And I'm laying down in some random person's driveway with an umbrella try over my head, trying to take a picture of this frog. And that's kind of like when all hell broke loose with the snoring thunder. It was just like, I figured it out. And, uh, went on that night, uh, started cruising, moved my cruising pattern in a little bit and started just striking gold with where these frogs are actually crossing roads. And it's so much easier to see a crawfish frog when it's stuck on land that it can't swim away from. Unfortunately, um, the road mortality is just insane with these frogs. And you're talking frogs that are probably spent years and years underground. They come out maybe one to two nights a year to cross this road and just get obliterated by cars. Yeah, it's sad. 
And the really unfortunate thing is that this particular road was almost a dead road. There was never cars on it, which is why there were so many frogs out there. But they started doing construction on the main, uh, on Route 13 coming into Carbondale. And all the traffic has been diverting onto this back road because they don't want to deal with the traffic. And ever since then, we see, I see any given time, 20 to 30 dead frogs for every one that I get in hand now crossing the road in that spot. Well, I, I guess it's that's terrible, and uh, hopefully the traffic patterns will will change back when they're when they've got finally got that all that construction done. That's been going on for quite a while, uh, but it, it's also good to remember that they're not just uh, coming from one direction across the road. Or crawfish frogs are coming from all points of the compass to these ponds. So, uh, so we're not talking about you know a, a devastating. It's a devastating loss, but it's not you know devastating to that population there's still other frogs that are making it to the pond so i'd say the biggest observation i made is uh i've never seen a young crawfish frog i've never seen one that is not a breeding age adult until last year uh one of my friends uh matt lawler uh he puts a picture up of a leopard frog and i look at that picture i'm like wait a minute that's a baby crawfish frog. I was like, where did you get Where are you at? He's like, it's in my backyard. I'm like, what county are you in? He's like, oh, up in Mount Vernon, up in Jefferson County. So I'm like, wait, that doesn't sound right. So I went back on the INHS and no crawfish frog had been recorded since 1954 in Jefferson County. So I told him, I was like, man, go back tonight. Look for more frogs. Dip net your pond. Do whatever you got to do. Find more. And uh, last night he sent me a picture of a uh, adult crawfish frog from his backyard. So we got possibly a an unknown population in an area that hadn't been seen since 1954. So the the big thing about these crawfish frogs is they you know, spend their entire lives underground, minus you know maybe four nights out of the year. So think about all the things that are happening on top of that ground throughout the year, farming and developments and stuff like that. And to find a population that's holding out is pretty impressive. And speaking of that, the other way I kind of happened upon some crawfish frogs one night is uh, my wife's friend calls her and says, tell Jeremy to come get his dumb frogs because I can't sleep. And so I'm like, wait, you know, can she can she get a recording and stuff? And she sends us a video from inside of her house. And it sounds like we're standing out in the middle of a pond with a thousand crawfish frogs. I'm like, she's in town where, you know, where is, you know, so we drive over there that night and sure enough, there are probably about 40, 50 crawfish frogs calling from a ditch in the middle of town, uh, in an area where they thought have, they've been extirpated since the 1970s. So to know that they're still hanging on, it was it was kind of like one of those little shiny moments where I was like, hey, you know, nature's nature's resilient. Yeah, and I guess it's good too that uh, I I know uh, you and I take a lot of data, and, and I'm sorry, Justin too is a uh, um, does the same thing, and so I think it's been good to document these populations as well uh, because apparently they're they're not as rare as people thought and people would just assume because you don't see them much 
you just assume that they're they're no longer there. But you have to be like I say when we come down here and we all these things we've been talking about doing. Usually it's in the middle of pouring rain. <laughs> yes, yeah. sopping wet, pouring rain. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's part of the equation too. And and you know that's that's not comfortable. That's, no, that's not a comfortable I'm, way to not herp, for you us. Know. No, no. It might not be comfortable, but it's my favorite night of the year. <laughs> I'm soaked. I'm freezing, and I couldn't be happier. <laughs> you forgot tired. Oh, tired, sore, sore, worn out. Yeah, all, all those things plus wet and cold. Yeah, but they're exciting because we know the time it's been take the time we've taken to find these frogs. It took a long time to be good at it, and a lot of fruitless hours of driving with your head out your window getting soaked in the rain um last <laughs> like an idiot uh we've done it for hours and days my, my poor cars uh i don't know if you've ever experienced a torrential downpour with your windows open doing 20 miles an hour down a country road with all the rain that nature can throw at you coming through your driver's window and you you're afraid to roll it up because you might not hear them you might miss one so the left side of my body is completely soaked <laughs> the right side is burning up because i have the heater on full blast to try to stay warm windows fogging up can't see anything in front of you and it's just the greatest night ever <laughs> <laughs> we should also point out too that it bring the rain brings out other critters too. So, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, like you say, you have to keep your window down for a longer period than you would for like a spring peeper because you 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 can pick up a peeper right away uh, or peeper chorus right away. Uh, but they they're a low snoring noise as as you have heard or you will hear is part of this uh, discussion. But you have to wait a little bit to hear it and it does that that sound doesn't transfer as well as as the big peepers so so you have to leave your window down for a long a little bit longer but the bycatch is also interesting like last night we were out mm-hmm. and uh we got tiger salamanders crossing the road Absolutely. spotted salamanders uh as well and some smallmouth salamanders and uh, lots of peepers on the road and leopard frogs and uh, American toads and bullfrogs. Uh, yeah, bullfrogs. Uh, I'm pretty sure I uh, saw a couple great tree frogs. Uh, couldn't stop in time to get those. But what was really interesting about last night and what made last night special for me was every amphibian we found last night was a new spot for yeah. the crawfish frogs and the tiger salamanders. Two new spots, I thought. So yeah, two new spots last night. So I purposely, uh, Justin hadn't gotten down here yet and I didn't want to spoil the fun for him. So I was like, well, let's try some of these other roads that I've been looking at. And right off the bat, boom, 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 crawfish frogs. And then right off the crawfish frogs, tiger salamanders cross. And I've never seen more than my best night ever for tiger salamanders down here was five. We got three within 30 minutes. Yeah. It was just ridiculous. Those uh, things don't read field guides because I don't ever, every time I see a tiger salamander down here in the forested areas, I always think he doesn't belong here. He's not supposed to be here. So and you're used weird. to, and you're used to seeing the ugly central Illinois tiger salamanders. You're not right, used to proper our, grassland habitat. Our beautiful high fashion <laughs> Southern Illinois, bright yeah, yellow tiger they're salamanders. Nice. They're pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. And we, I think got three and two of them were males that were obviously, uh, I think they're, they, they looked a little spent to me, if you know, they look they a little <laughs> thin and, and like they were done. But we, the, one of the female we saw was uh, large and bulky and clearly was, was still carrying her eggs. 
And uh, I tell you what, it feels so good. When, I mean, when you talk about the big night where you're helping all those crawfish frogs off the road, you know, and saving them from destruction. And it, it feels so good when you're doing it, when you're doing that. And when you do the same thing for uh, a tiger salamander or, you, you know, even a peeper or a box turtle, whatever it is, it just feels good to be able to get those things off the road mm-hmm. and, and save them from destruction. And if you have kids, it is the best time ever. Pick a summer night, Fowler's Toads calling, driving a country road. Park your car, turn your hazards on, and let your kid grab 400 Fowler's Toads off the road and save them. They will be hooked for life. That's uh, my kid. I remember him. I would just park the car, just sit, and just watch him run down the road, grabbing every frog. He's, Dad, I got to save them all. You know, if I would pass one, it was the end of the world. We had to stop and go back. He's just hooked at that point. Uh, he kind of grew up though. I haven't grown up apparently, but uh, he's not into it as much anymore, but I just, those nights are special to me. Well, he won't forget that. And you know, there'll be a time when there'll be an animal crossing the road and he'll, they'll do the right thing and take care of that. To speak to that, uh, you know, the, my wife's friend that called and wasn't really happy with those frogs. She now, uh, saves every turtle that she sees on the road. Uh, she tries to save every snake. She's converted her family. They would send us pictures of the dead snakes. Now they're sending us pictures of the snakes that they're saving. So it, it, it really just Preach. trickles down. It trickles down. Actually, Justin and Jill and I were talking about this earlier today, but the fact that when you open people to new experiences like this, they invariably come back to you and say, hey, look, look, I'm doing this. I'm doing this now. And, and it's, it's like almost as if they're, you know, they don't want your approval, but they, they want to show you that I changed. I, I do something new now. And I, I, you know, this is something better. That you've made an impact. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to, we, we touched about the, the crawfish frogs and, and some of the other things we've seen. The crawfish frogs, because, you know, they, I mean, they're not underground all year, but they're very wary. And, you know, the farmer's. They manage to live in farm fields and they manage to live in and just sort of stay out of the way because of their wariness. Uh, but there's another frog down here in this area, Southern Illinois, mm-hmm. that is even warier and spends and does actually spend a lot of time buried under the soil. And, and that is uh, Sudacris illinoensis, the Illinois chorus frog. And we hate them too. The, <laughs> the bane of my existence. <laughs> it has been five years. Since I have seen one, Mike. Oh man, five years. The last time I got one, I heard I heard one. Was it in the ditch? It was. Long well, it was ago? in a flooded cornfield. Okay. And I could hear it calling, and I was like, "I'm finding that that frog. I'm going to find it." So I put my hip waders on, and after about three steps, uh, I was within an inch of going over. Or actually, my chest waders. I was within an inch of going over on the water, so I'm standing in a easily four foot of water, and I could just see a glint sticking off of a piece of corn stalk about a hundred yards into this cornfield. So I trudged all the way out there, and I had my uh, dip net with me, and right as I got within about five feet of that, I just see a paw reach around that, and it's the trademark tree frog hand. I was like, that is an Illinois chorus frog. It's the only thing I hear out here calling. I swung my net, hit that corn stalk, pulled back. And sure enough, there is a rather large 
chorus frog in my uh, net. I didn't know whether to be happy or mad that I now had to walk that entire way back through the chest deep water to get to the shore so I could actually take a picture of this frog. So I got it all the way back there. He sat about 20 seconds, enough for me to get one picture before he jumped in the water and swam away, never to be seen again. Uh, so that was my first experience finding an Illinois chorus frog. <laughs> well, they're kind of, um, they're a, a different frog in that, of course, if we said they, they spend a lot of time out of sight. They're, they bur- they burrow into sandy soil. A burrowing tree and, frog. And uh, when it's not raining, they're they're under the soil. And how they manage to exist in farm fields is beyond me because that's that's where they, they live. And then mm-hmm. uh, when we get the big, again, when we get the big rain events down here, in the spring and you get that wind out of the South and it blows all this, this great warm rain up, uh, they come out and they, they go to the breeding pools, which are basically, you know, low spots in farm fields. And that's where they congregate, uh, to reproduce. So the first couple trips that I made out here, I could hear them calling. Um, they always seem really far away. And, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't and, they? And, I'm not uh, joking. They always seem like that's really far away. Yeah, and that was sort of the situation I was in. And when I when I did get, and I wasn't really prepared because I had no boots or waders, and it was uh, like the third week of February this year, that year when they really started going. And so I, I had taken out, I no spare shoes or socks or anything, and I just waded out into this pond, and and I could hear them calling around me, but I I didn't couldn't see any. So that that was kind of difficult. And then finally, uh, I you know, oh, <laughs> how about we get some some rubber boots and, you know, and do this thing right. So it took a couple trips down here to, to get them. But then of course, every year is different. You may not get that rain event that you want. And then they, they may come up during some kind of small rain or, or, uh, intermittent rain. It's, it's really hard to nail them down. Some, some years they may not be successful at breeding. I, I'm not quite sure. I'm almost 100% sure that's the case down here with the uh, unsuccessful breeding years. Uh, there's times I'll I'll spend every rainy night I can, you know, making the long trip down there to, to look for them and just staying there for hours and not hearing even a spring peeper call. Uh, and you're like, man, you know, this is the, the right night, the right weather, the right everything. There's nothing calling. And then a dry night two weeks later, it hasn't rained in two weeks and you go down there and they're calling like crazy and it hasn't rained. You're like, I don't get it. You know, it's, it's one of these frogs that they choose their time, no matter what the conditions are. And I think sometimes there just are no conditions for them I, to I breed. I think we just need to figure them out. We figured out crawfish frogs. It took at least that five could, years. And it, for me, three sets of hip waders. Uh, and if anybody's uh, interested, I think frog togs are probably the best brand uh, if it matters. Uh, at any rate, You're trying uh, to get a trying to get some product yeah, endorsement, <laughs> please. Uh, but at any rate, I think maybe we we've the snoring thunders now just become uh, part of my rhythm of life, part of my cycle of my year, and I think maybe we can get to that point within the Illinoisans because I've been Mike's been uh, over to my area and we've driven around the cornfields there till two in the morning on a school night. Uh, it just takes some figuring out for those two. Well, that, that's a that's a good point because right now we're sitting, you know, in the bottom of the state, in the bottom of Illinois. Yeah, uh, not quite the bottom, but we're we're fairly far down. And uh, those those frogs, the Illinoisans, occur in the the bottom tier of counties, 
uh, in the state. And they're across the river in Missouri and some of the uh, sandy soil areas of Missouri and also Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also have them further north in the state uh, in sandy, what we call sand counties, uh, along the Illinois River. Mm-hmm. And uh, which is, you know, you live in Peoria, so you're, you're right in the middle of all that. And so you yeah. actually have Illinoisans in some spots around where you live. 20 minutes from me, yeah. About 20 minutes from where I live. And Mike knows we've driven those those areas, uh, listening for them, and sometimes only hearing one off in the distance and not a chorus on these rainy nights that seem perfect, but maybe we just don't have them figured out yet. Yeah, uh, you drive all the way down here and they're 20 minutes from your house. Well, not cra- crawfish frogs aren't 20 minutes from my house. Yeah, I, th- I think I think the main goal of the Snoring Thunder, like going back to how this all originated, was you asked, hey, can we get spadefoot toads? Yeah. And then it was it yeah. was a game. Can we get a crawfish frog, an Illinois chorus frog? In one night. That was the, and that an was the dream. Spadefoot that was the dream. It still is the night. dream to do the. It has the, never happened. That would be the. Perfect trifecta. The trifecta. From, everybody, a, you know, everybody in Southern Illinois knows what the trifecta is. It's a copperhead, a cottonmouth, and a timber rattlesnake in Snake Road at the same day. That's easy. <laughs> it's easy like Sunday morning. It, all you got to do is walk the road about 200 times. <laughs> you will get it. In, in April you or May when it's perfect. Walk, you can come down here a thousand times in the perfect weather and i doubt you'll ever get the the frog fecta frog fecta (laughs) i just new word frog fecta totally (laughs) uh but another thing um you know you talk about the the sand blowouts uh one thing that's really helped me uh as a field herper is actually going to college for my forestry degree learning natural divisions of illinois all the little nuances of why these divisions are separated out and learning about glaciation events and where sand deposits and less blowouts occur in these like loose sandy soils. And after learning about that stuff, I could now look at an aerial picture of Illinois and say, hey, they're going to be here, 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 and here. And I can read these maps better than I've ever been able to read in my life now. And part of my job puts me uh, in contact with private landowners now, too. And I get to selfishly, I guess, kind of herp their property on my company's dime and get to talk to these people. Hey, you know, I mentioned them, you know, hey, I'm talking about your white oaks out here. But hey, have you ever heard this sound? <laughs> so have, have you gotten a spade foot down here yet, yes. Jeremy? Yeah. Okay. How, and how about you? How about you, Justin? Have you no. seen one down here? No. Okay. I had to, I had to go get uh, mine in... Uh, Indiana. I was gonna say I'm about to just do the Indiana yeah. or, or something, or go to yeah. Florida. And uh, our 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 friend Jim Horton uh, just got one last night. Uh, oh, congrats! I Jim. think probably uh, as part of the same big rain event that uh, sure. you know, is crossing over into Indiana. There's some good so. herpers at the Hoosier State. Yeah. yeah, and so he he got a, a at least one spade foot. I haven't talked about it, but it, I saw a picture on Facebook yeah. of one spade foot that he got. I will say I cheated. To get my first spade foot. You went to a cornfield? I went to iNaturalist. Oh. oh and I have not done that yet. Yeah. Um, not, I haven't sold out. I <laughs> I really, really, really wanted to see one. And so I just typed in spade foot toad. And sure enough, there is a dot right in the middle of the road, which is why I, I really don't recommend using iNaturalist unless you're going to obscure literally every record you put in there. But yeah, I cheated and went down and... uh Totally kind of mistimed the event. I thought and I knew him. So, 
went down there and didn't see anything, but I saw everything else that you could possibly see. And about a month later, it was like 70 degree night started raining. And I was like, well, I'll go see the frogs and go down there. And their road is literally covered in spadefoot toads. They seem to be later in the year though. Yeah. 70 degree. That's why they don't, we, we doing, that's why I always say it's the dream. I don't think, I don't think that's going to line up with the crawfish frogs coming out, which is kind of a post thaw event. The ground is thawed. The Illinois chorus frogs, I want to say are in that same vein. It seems to be when we find them. I think I think crawfish frogs and Illinois chorus frogs are in a two week window that's separated they're, about a by about they're, a week. They're in, <laughs> but they like similar weather to come out, call breed, and then go back away. Whereas right. the spadefoots, they really want heavy rain and hotter weather right which doesn't coincide with this uh, i thought last night was gonna be good it, the night started off it was 74 degrees when we left the house and within two hours it was 54 degrees so it had dropped 20 degrees in two hours with the the cold front that came through but that cold front brought out you know all the salamanders and the the crawfish frogs unfortunately it's not going to bring the the spadefoots out yeah so it's still the dream it's probably never going to happen but I'm holding out for it. Though. Uh, one of my favorite things to do in the summer is just cruise around and wait to hear that popping sound that those spade foots make. Uh, the, popping it, sound? the, the little sound that they, uh, there it is. That's more like it. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm trying to get more of my guests to, to, I'm not make, making any animal oh, sounds. <laughs> I'm not making any animal <laughs> sounds. I, I, I do. A, I do a lot of, I, I missed my chance with Jody Rowley, who, who's very, <laughs> She's famous for her her frog uh, and you impersonations. Didn't make her do any? And I, I forgot to ask her to do one for oh, us because man. she's really good at it. So so let let's see what you got here, Jeremy. All right, name the frog. Let's do it. You want a crawfish frog? Narrow mouth toad. Me. Not bad. That's not bad. Not bad. Okay, here's the crawfish frog. Work on it. Needs work. What about? <laughs> Gray tree frog. <laughs> I've never been so insulted. Uh, sorry, I did a copes. You want me to do an Eastern? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to use my best Lang Elliott voice here. American toad. It's, pa- it's passable. Passable. If there are any listeners left, <laughs> <laughs> there's dozens of them. There's I, dozens of them left. I'll tell. I'll tell you what. Uh, part of being a uh, an interpreter, uh, educator about natural art is making fun of yourself and making sure that you know, people have a good time. I am not afraid to throw a frog sound down. Uh, and one of the things I do when I do my talks is I get everybody to make the frog sounds with me. And then turn it into a teaching event is because I do a lot of stuff for younger kids, uh, school age, let's say fifth grade and under, and getting them to understand how the human brain works when it's impounded with sound and it can't handle it anymore. So I get everybody calling and making the sound of a green tree frog. It's just a, a fun sound to make. Them, Which bonk, is like a banjo. Bonk, I, it's like a bonk. banjo string. And I get yeah. all the kids doing Same this. Yeah. yeah. And pretty soon, you know, that syncopation happens. And it sounds like everybody's in sync with each other. And I'm like, but I have you guys calling at different times. The teachers all get it. The kids are like, I don't get it. We just all started syncing up. I was like, no, you didn't. Your brain shut off. 
And the teachers yeah. understand that because, you know, I tell the kids, you know, hey, you started talking and then you started talking and then you started talking and pretty soon your teacher has no idea who's talking and everybody gets in trouble. And I, I relate it to predator prey, stuff like that, where the, the predators have a hard time finding these frogs because their brain is being fried with all the sound. This, this is a very good point because I, I one of our favorite things is to be out ankle deep in some flooded field. Yeah. Listening to the chorus and and spring peepers have to be uh, the most amazing experience because it's it's one thing when you've got a dozen or so peepers calling, but when you get the full force of a large chorus and I mean the fit is on these things, and they're just calling and calling. You have so many calling that it, you're no longer processing peep peep peep. Your brain, all your brain hears is. It's almost a religious experience where yeah. I don't know how to explain yeah. it, but it gets to be overwhelming. It is overwhelming. And your brain just sort of short cycles the whole thing into this one long sound. Yeah. It, do, it no longer tries to interpret each individual noise. It just Except, interprets. But, there's always the dumb one. What, but most. <laughs> there's always the dumb I, one. I would say most people who have experienced these, uh, if you want to call it a cacophony, these, these events that are rock concert-like. It's just a. I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm so damn happy and to I'll, be to be just getting my senses overwhelmed by these frogs. And like I said, I can't imagine it not being a rhythm of my year, a part of my my yearly cycle, if you will, of how I operate. Yeah, I you'll it. you'll definitely hear that. Like when you first get there, you're hearing every single one of them. And within within a minute or so, your brain is it just, just becomes a your brain's a, right a hum. Except there's always that one frog that's slightly off key and he stands out so bad against everybody else there's always one either just an octave lower an octave higher or there's that one that does that little trill that with the spring peepers yeah (laughs) but you can find that frog instantly but the the million other spring peepers out there calling you have no idea where they're at they're right in front of you yeah. And you cannot find those them. dudes are good at throwing their voice too. You think it's right in front of you, and it's three feet to the right. That's that's pretty common to be uh, tricked by the one off with the uh, with the peepers. It's a very high pitched. It's a piercing sound. You can pinpoint it pretty quick if it's one calling. Yeah, these crawfish frogs, this low rumbling that that sound carries. High pitched sounds don't carry very far. Yeah, they're bassy. Those bass sounds carry distances, and we were listening to them on a forty acre block last night. And we could not figure out where these frogs were calling from. And we're literally driving a square around a 40-acre block. We all we at one point, though, started pointing the same direction into the woods. Where eventually. We, we eventually, yeah, uh, we we couldn't eventually even agree figured on it out at first. That, yeah, at first we may not have agreed, but we started pointing in the same direction that it's out there. Well, yeah, the peepers is pretty evident, but these things just sort of come, flo- the, the snoring thunder thing just comes kind of floating. At you, it, like it, a lion's roar off, it, off yeah. the Serengeti. It's just, it just, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not, but it carries. Does does the dumb one go? No, it's a pain, yeah. No, no, no. Not even on this show. No, not even on this. Show. I just ruined your podcast, Mike. There's, <laughs> we're sorry that the last listener out there left. We're sorry. Oh, well, I, you know, this is um, I come and I interview people about various topics and and i try to i always these things always have the structure and 
I have a list of things I want to talk about. And uh, I only had one thing to talk about that on this particular episode, and that was the, the concept of snoring thunder. So yeah. I think you guys have flogged it to death. <laughs> Well, uh, and I, I thank you very much. <laughs> I think every podcast needs to have one dumb one. <laughs> so, hi. hi everybody. So we've nailed it. We've nailed. We've done it. We've done it. It has officially come full circle, Mike. We started talking originally about finding the one dumb one, and we're going to end on the one dumb one. <laughs> and, and I want to thank my wife Talina for letting me do all these stupid things for all these years. Love you. Thanks. And I want to thank my wife for not having a freaking clue what herping was, taking her out my first date to Snake Road at 10 o'clock at night in the middle of summer and uh, her coming back with me the next day. Well, I got to say, I, I, you know, on a first date with you, Jeremy, I, w- I would be very uncomfortable if you took me to Snake Road <laughs> at night. So, so hats off to Jill for <laughs> maybe she had a pistol in her purse or something. Yeah. We don't, we don't know. Uh, bear spray <laughs> yeah and i suppose i should thank my wife too for uh you know being patient and uh really supporting not just the the snoring thunder thing and just she knows by now we, we do kind of disappear for a few days yeah in february and march and, and go do these things and then come back uh, so so that I, i'm also appreciative thanks now we have a good time with us and uh you know i hope we continue and uh you know it's fun to it's also fun to bring other friends down and yeah. and introduce people to the whole idea of the fact that standing in the middle of a, a torrential downpour in freezing water somehow can be fun. Yeah. And I did notice that the hashtag snoring thunder has, I don't know where, you know, we don't really talk about it too much. We Is it a when, thing? It's a thing. People are hashtagging pictures of crawfish frogs with snoring thunder. Well, good. Yes. yes finally. So, hey, recognition jargon episode two (laughs) we made it all right we're almost famous well thanks again guys um i appreciate you sitting down and talking with me here at at, uh, jeremy and jill's kitchen table and uh we're gonna we're actually gonna go back out tonight for a little while we're not wet enough uh, we're not cold enough (laughs) yeah but we're gonna try to see if we can get some uh, choruses that are uh some frogs that are already ponded up so to speak more jargon and see if we can't get some choruses and uh, some recordings of those those frogs calling yeah uh i think i was a little disappointed last night that we didn't get that right off the bat i think we saw them moving i think they're getting ready to uh, go into the full chorus. So hopefully tonight's the night. We shall see. Stay tuned, folks. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. I'm just back here to add a short epilogue of sorts with a nice uh, chorus of snoring uh, crawfish frogs in the background in order to cover a few points. Uh, first up concerns gear like waders and rubber boots and preventing any transmission of disease. I sanitize mine before and after each use using hot water and soap and a brush, and that's to remove any organic material. Uh, and th- after that, I sterilize with uh, bleach in a spray bottle. And it really doesn't take too much time, and it's an easy habit to pick up. Now, about taxonomy, there's a lot to that complicated subject when it comes to crawfish frogs. And some workers recognize two subspecies for northern crawfish frogs, but 
I tend to simply refer to them on the species level, and, and personally, I'm okay with either Lithobates areolatus or Rana areolata. Uh, but please don't refer to them as crayfish frogs. Uh, why would you ruin that lovely alliteration, that, that matching pair of vowel sounds in crawfish frog? And uh, save crayfish for crayfish snakes, uh, and for the same reason. Now, about the migration, some crawfish frogs may actually reside very close to their breeding ponds, uh, with hardly any distance to travel, while others may come some distance. And, of course, there's a subset of those who have to run the gauntlet that comes with crossing roads. I guess it's hop the gauntlet. Uh, males typically move to the ponds first in, in order to start calling to the females, and you don't want to be late for that, right? So, uh, And most of the frogs we saw in this year's Snoring Thunder were males with just a few females mixed in. So if you want more on crawfish frogs, a good place to start is AmphibiaWeb, and that's www.amphibiaweb.org. And if you do a search using areolata in the specific epithet search field, that will bring up a, a very informative write-up on Rana areolata. Oh, and I want to thank Jeremy Schumacher for letting me use his uh, crawfish frog uh, sound recording. Uh, for this episode. Thanks a bunch, and thanks for listening, everyone. That's it for episode 36. I want to say thank you to Justin and Jeremy for their participation in our little roundtable discussion, and to Jill Schumacher for spotting some snakes during the day for us. And also, I want to say thanks to Oscar for guarding the house while we recorded this show. Good boy, Oscar. And I want to thank once again Jeremiah Easter and Richard Laguerre for supporting the show. And if you would like to throw a few bucks at the show, please visit patreon.com slash so much pingle and so much pingle is all one word or drop me an email if you want to consider alternative methods. And before I go, I want to remind you that you can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at so much And you can also join the so much pingle Facebook group to follow the show and interact with me and some of my guests and some other cool herpsters. And you can also email me directly at so much pingle at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And until we meet again, please take very good care of yourselves and don't forget to hurt better. <laughs>